How are you today? I'm okay. How are you today? I've been good. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll get into it. <clears throat> oh, shoot. We're all sorts of screwed up today. We're recording this on a... We don't usually record on the weekdays, like after we work, but now we are recording this on a Monday, a Monday night. So we are both very tired. Monday night recording. I'm tired as fuck. Yep. Um, we're both very tired. Kaido is very active right now um but hi welcome to the review podcast a podcast in which we review movies and then we, we review them yes uh <laughs> indubitably we review movies we watch a movie that at least one of us has seen at least one time before and then we just talk about it on the pod what are you looking at brie i'm looking at the dog what's the dog doing um sniffing his little bed <clears throat> i know he was trying to bite that thing earlier he was trying to rip it up kaido's in a destructive phase at the moment he's nearing one years old um i guess at the moment time of this recording he'll be or time that this releases he, he he'll be one he'll be one years old we're throwing him a birthday party yes uh well Bree i'm is, throwing him Bree's a birthday very party. excited well it's like his birthday party slash my graduation party because i graduate yes. with my master's degree Whoa. you want to tell all of the uh listeners what your master's degree is in it's in curriculum and development wow teacher bullshit teacher baloney yes yeah. um mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about that so far as you're finishing up i'm ready to be freaking done yeah, what's your, um, you want to tell the world what your master's capstone is or your thesis? Uh, it's all about the reading curriculum that we've been, we implemented at our school and how it has affected our NWA math assessment scores, which is like the big test that we take to measure student progress. So what's your argument? What's your thesis? Um, well, there is no like... What are your research questions? Um, how has our map scores changed since the adoption of the program and how can we align our program to the assessment and the answer is there has been a slight decrease in scores <laughs> since the adoption of the program and the assessment is already aligned to our curriculum so something else might be going on do you um do you have a title for your your capstone yes but i don't want to name drop the curriculum because the curriculum's in the title just go bleep when you say the curriculum um the effects of the bleep reading program on ND nwa map assessment scores so you know like <laughs> when you're done with your master's at your college or university that you're in they bind it up and they put it in the library and everything so i have like to give like three presentations on this i because so I got a, a full-ride scholarship to the college that I'm attending from a sorority. And part of the, the scholarship contract is that I need to then go to this luncheon put on by the sorority and give a presentation. I'm missing two bridal showers for this stupid Oh, you got to give the presentation, presentation at the luncheon? Yes. So is it, what is it just like, here's it's, my master's no, and here's so what I did? No, so we're making posters. Ugh. And with the the ladies are gonna walk around and we just like talk about it. Oh okay. Oh, so you're just standing. It's a by poster a, session. Yeah, you're standing by a table. And we're and then I have to do the same thing at my district during a half day institute, as we are just 
standing there by our posters while people come around and ask us about I, it. I know when I'm done <laughs> with my master's next semester, I have to give like a wide presentation to all of the capstone chairs at the university. And well, thank all. God we don't have to do that. Yeah, I have to. I have to do, and then it's our like a question and answer session. No, our that's like like a doctoral thesis. Yeah, we have to do that. We don't have to do that. It's graded by our professor, and then we're done. That's how I wish we could do it. So wait, what's your title again for your your thing? The effects of the bleep reading program on NWA map scores. So if you're ever at the, uh, if you ever figure out what university Bree's at for her uh, master's degree, and you're ever in their library, you can check out the effects of bleep on um, <laughs> what is it? The bleep reading program on NWA map scores. You can go to the library and check it out, and you can read it. Um, and then you can tell all your friends, wait, you've never heard of the effects of bleep on map <laughs> testing scores. And it's interesting because other people have done studies that are not peer reviewed. So take it with a grain of salt when something's not peer reviewed. Um, the peer review process is really, really important. Um, so two other studies that are not peer reviewed showed, well, three, actually three studies that are not peer reviewed, but all had to deal with my program. So I, I researched three studies. They're not peer reviewed. So like half of my art, half of my like articles that I pulled for my master's the like thesis, we didn't have to be peer reviewed, but one half of them did. And I only used three not peer reviewed ones. And they were ones about the reading program done by the, mm -hmm. like done by schools. All three showed increases in reading scores but not sig statistically significant enough to to prove causation mm -hmm. and mine shows a slight decrease in scores but so, not significant so enough so to show causation i don't think that the cause of their i don't think the cause of their score increase was due to this program i don't think our decrease is due to the program either i just that's think, what i was just going to ask do you think that your program is actually making kids dumber no, because the program that you'll probably be able to figure out if you're a teacher out there, you'll probably know what program it follows the science of the brain and how children learn to read naturally with their brains, <laughs> like what they're ready for developmentally sure. to learn. Yeah. The tests, though, and we all know this as teachers, that the common core standards are not appropriate. Anywho, we had to stop because Kaida was crying and I lost my train of thought. So let's move on to... Well, oh, well, you got to talk about your master's program. <laughs> oh, Anthony, would you like to talk about your master's program? Oh, should I? No. It's like, <laughs> uh, I'm almost done. I'm, I'm one semester away. I'm ending, like I'm just about at my capstone we're, semester, but I've pretty much, I've written a majority of my capstone already. Anthony and I are really excited because by the time we go on our honeymoon, we'll both have our master's degrees and not have to worry about anything because um, our wedding is going to be stressful. And then the honeymoon is what we're really looking forward to. Yeah. So um, if anyone's ever in my university after about December of 2022, um, if you're ever in my university, in my neck of the woods, and you go to my library, and you can find my master's degree uh, bound in, in the library. So if you're ever in there, you can check out developmenting, uh, oh God, um, developing argumentative writing skills through the use of peer revision and prompting by Anthony. Boo. 
Um, so I'm proud of us. Yeah. What? So okay. What What else has been going on today with you? Anything interesting? Um, I started a new book. What book? Um, it's called Fix Her Up. It's a romantic um, novel. Is it like she's all that? Where no, they fix her up. No. Oh. I what I like about this author is like. The women aren't broken. They don't need fixing. And the men aren't broken and they don't need fixing. Then what's the title for? Because um, they do. It's like a DIY home renovation oh, kind of thing. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, sure. I didn't I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> I thought of it like ladder. She's All That. where it... Which I've been really into reading lately. So my goal for this school, like for this year was to read 30 books this year i'm already at 21 books holy moly and it is april 20 at the time of this recording yeah. it's april 25th so mm-hmm. i probably won't read all summer tbh oh don't give me that bullshit I'm you're gonna you're definitely gonna out. be reading working out getting fit doing summer school hating my life because summer school is gonna suck so bad yeah um I had a pretty good day. That's I good guess, to hear. I guess it was okay. You didn't bitch when I came home, so I assumed you had a good day. Yeah, there was no, really nothing to bitch about. Um, kids coming back from spring break, my spring break. Um, you know, they. I think they're excited for the year to be over. I think everyone's kind of excited for the year to be over. I've got... Um, so, so I teach an AP class in, in, at the high school, and... We're, we're prepping for our AP test. They got their AP test in one week. So we're we're starting our review this week. And seniors are just about done after that. I my The AP test for my class is next Monday. But then we, like, they go, the seniors go until next Friday. So I get, like, four days with them where we literally aren't doing anything. Like, we have no content to cover. They've already taken the AP exam. They're ready to graduate. Like, we're done. And uh, Man, I, we have I just don't know what to do. Left. That's what I was telling my freshmen, too. I'm like, we literally have, like, 30 days left. 27 days. I only know that because mm. at the end of the school year, we do an ABC countdown, and there are 26 letters in the mm -hmm. alphabet. I told them, I said, you know, in this history class that I'm teaching, we got a month left. We are doing this and this and this, and then it's done. We have two homework assignments coming up. We got three days of lecture coming up. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. And then we're doing a project and, and we're done. And then you go into your final exam. So um, we're wrapping it up and I'm excited for this year to be over. I'm very excited um, because I have, I have, um, we do at the end of the year at our school, like, all the, te the teachers get to talk one-on-one -on -one with the principal for like 15 minutes. And there's like a feedback form. It's like a end-of-the-year interview almost. And I'm really excited to have my interview with our principal because I got, I got some stuff that I want to bring up. Not like necessarily bad stuff, but I got some ideas that if we roll with it, you know, I think that our school can be in a better place. But we'll see. We'll see, Bree. Oh, let's see. What are, you, what, are you, what are you texting? I'm not texting nobody. You ain't texting nobody? No, I ain't texting nobody. Oh. Let's get into the movie, though, because I'm excited about this one. You're excited about this one. Um, why don't you tell the people what we watched? 
Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Be- oh, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. You might summon him. I, I do not want miniature Michael Keaton in my house right now uh, or snake Michael Keaton or any variation of Michael Keaton. <laughs> Maybe besides Mr. Mom. Uh, yeah. So we watched uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, we are in our director series, right? So like last week we covered our first director series movie and paul thomas anderson's boogie nights um and then we, we go to the more fun this is definitely the light hearted lighthearted movie yeah. um tim burton movie beetlejuice chronologically with his movies the first of in production compared to the rest because compared to the other ones that yeah. we're going to be talking about um this is not tim burton's first movie this is not even his first big movie um he did peewee he did peewee's big movie or big adventure um before this and that's where i think tim burton kind of gained his notoriety and you know his stylistic uh uniqueness in the peewee movie so coming off of peewee tim burton gets beetlejuice and he really wants to dive deep into beetlejuice so there's a little bit of background information background history into this movie um i didn't do too much research on the beetlejuice there really wasn't a lot I think out there to say but um beetlejuice 1988 right i think that's the year we were in we, we were conflicted because we didn't know what came first beetlejuice or batman also i didn't know what came first beetlejuice the movie beetlejuice the cartoon i didn't know if beetlejuice was like a thing before the movie oh no beetlejuice was definitely not a thing before it's the movie so fu- it's such a good concept it's an the, interesting if you've never concept. seen the co- the the cartoon, you should watch it. It's a really, and that's what I thought about when we watched this movie. I was like, this is a really interesting and like kind of unique concept. So what I did look up though, and what I found was that the dudes who wrote the first incarnation of Beetlejuice, the first drafts of the script, had initially like a really dark and gruesome version of this movie that was probably going to be a pretty hard rated r like the what are the uh, the names of the the husband and the wife barbara and adam what's the last name mattinson i didn't write it down oh the well the husband and the wife uh, barbara and adam barbara and adam they die like pretty horrifically in um the original drafts of the script it's like definitely more dark and definitely more horror based and definitely like more scare like scarier than what we see in this movie i don't know about you but the way they so they die because they drive like they're about to hit a dog and they don't want to hit it so they like go off a bridge and they fall to their death we're we're moving too quick i'm just giving some background what i'm going to say next and they don't know they died i think that's the horrific part of this movie is like that moment where they didn't know that they were dead and they just like walked home well, I, I think like, so I haven't seen this movie in quite a long time before we watched it the other day. Um, and you you were like, I'm gonna, you took some notes, but you were like, I'm not even going to take notes because I kind of remember the movie. I didn't take that many notes either. I didn't feel like there was, you know, all that much to point out mm-hmm. here or like questions that I had or like... I, there, there's a lot of things when we watch these movies that I have questions about and I'm like wait, so how did that happen? Or like, why did they make that decision? 
And I think that this is pretty spelled out in Beetlejuice, like pretty clearly for us, like all of the decisions that are made. And I, I honestly, I didn't have very many questions about the movie. It was fairly straightforward. When Tim Burton gets his hands on the script in the late 80s, he definitely changes it up. And he makes it kooky. He makes it kookier. He makes it cartoonier. And what essentially happens is Tim Burton gets his hands on the script. He says, this shit's way too dark. I don't want to do this stuff. And he looks at it and he changes up everything to be much more zany, cartoony, campy, like B-movie. And you really get like the like the Tim Burton-esque feel because the character, like the color choices that are made in the movie are very Tim Burton-esque. Like the black and white stripe well, yeah, is let's, so Tim Burton. Let's talk, well, let's talk about Tim Burton a little bit because this is the director's series and we have to talk about this guy's style and like what can we pinpoint from Tim Burton's movies that are pretty consistent in most so of his are movies. Definitely color right. is very important in a Tim Burton movie because color he very much stays to like a certain color palette dull colors you think beetlejuice was dull colors well like i saw a lot of light green like like bright greens reds greens reds black white grays like he tends to do like those i hate to say it halloween colors <laughs> like the fall colors yeah. like a like a more fa- like he's not going to put like yellows and oranges do you remember that show on Nickelodeon that used to be on Ah Real Monsters? Is that the one with the weird monster with the yeah, yeah, where he's holding up his eyes? Yeah, that shit reminds me of like Tim Burton. I feel like they watched that. The people who made that show watched Beetlejuice and were like, "Let's take everything from that." And because th- doesn't somebody does do that? They grab their eyes, right, and they like walk around with their eyes, and then he there's, has the eyeballs on his fingers. Yeah, and then there's um, a character in Ah Real Monsters that's who, black and white. That's black and white, striped, kind of like a snake, which we see in that movie. They totally saw. Now that I'm thinking about this and reflecting on it, they totally saw Beetlejuice and were like that, but a cartoon. I think that's not only important to Tim Burton, but like I feel like. The artistry, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, not like surrealism. Surreal, like the (laughs) so the notion that like we are in a separate world. Is that what you're talking about? I was talking about more surrealist art. Oh, I'm not into art at all, so you're gonna have to die. You're gonna have to go into <laughs> this more deeply I think than the I will. way. So I like did painting an art. art. I'm not. I did it. like an, a project on Tim Burton when I was in um, college. It was like a whole. It I'll was a whole it. thing. Why don't you tell us about it, stud? <laughs> well, I did like I just talked about like his style, like characteristics of like Tim Burton. I mostly talked about his stop motion stuff. Stop motion is a big stylistic choice for Stim. And he uses Stim- it. Stim Burton. He uses it in this movie as well. He's in almost every movie. Like his first, wasn't his first, wasn't Frankenweenie stop motion? And it's a lot of practical effects. Yes. Almost every, uh, not so much late Tim Burton, but definitely a lot of earlier practical Tim Burton. Effects. Um, 
It's like costume design is very important. Makeup. Makeup is very important. And you still see that in some of his like newer stuff. I think about like what's the last thing I've seen by Dumbo. He did Dumbo, right? I didn't see Dumbo. I did not see Dumbo either. I wasn't interested. Yeah, me neither. Jumbo but I know, I know that. Wait, well, wasn't Dumbo's name? Jumbo. Jumbo. Why do they call him Dumbo? His big ears, I think. How does that equate to Dumbo? I don't know. I never saw the cartoon. Jumbo Jr. Yeah, right? Huh. I guess I got to watch the cartoon. It's like dark. Like the actual story is very dark. Have you ever seen... And I think he wanted to take it dark. Have you ever seen Pinocchio? The the old like cartoon Disney Pinocchio? No, because it scared me as a kid. Dude, I remember how much that used to scare me as a kid. Uh, you never watched it? No, it scared me. Oh, there's a scene where like a kid turns into a rabbit. No, thank you. Or like a no, he turns into a donkey. He becomes a donkey, he and that used to scare the absolute crap out of me because I was like, I don't like body horror. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I feel like I really appreciate Tim Burton's style. Like I really. And I'm I'm thinking about like off the Tim Burton movies I remember because this I mean I haven't watched a Tim, I feel like this? I haven't watched a Tim Burton movie in such a long time that I'm. I'm trying to pinpoint some ideas of his style, and I guess this is a conversation we can revisit post Tim Burton movies. I feel like, like this, like the way, like the modern Tim Burton, like there's certain things that characterize like his later work, where like the sunken in eyes look, like everyone has like that dark, like Lydia does in this movie, yeah. where it's like the the shadows under the eyes, and that's very much something he does, like. I'm thinking about what's that movie with the are they vampires? Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows, like that's like the most recent one I think I've seen of his. I yeah, I, I can't remember like some I stuff didn't that hate has come it. out. Maybe I think the most recent one of Tim Burton's that I've seen is Alice in Wonderland. I think that's got to be like the most recent Tim Burton movie that I've seen in a while. But you can even see like elements of that in Alice in Wonderland. Elements of what we're talking about, like the bright colors right and lots of reds lots of greens greens, lots of blues but that the hue i think in that movie regarding the colors is much different than beetlejuice where beetlejuice is like i think saturation saturation that's what i'm thinking of oh my art art (laughs) art um it's it's important to note i did my project about tim burton in an art it's saturation (laughs) i feel like we're more the colors are more pastel in Alice in Wonderland and like lighter in tone but in Beetlejuice it's like almost neon-esque where it's like in your face bright but also like illuminated by a dark background so it makes the the colors look brighter. I think about the scene in the movie where they open the door to the bureau the office and the, the green and the, the light the very bright green like coming in after we in the, like the dark background that it's surrounded in so it like illuminates the color more and makes it brighter i think about that and that's like what i pick up when i think of beetlejuice is like i think about the stripes the black and white stripes i think about the saturate over over saturation i think about color. the red dress the red dress that lydia, that lydia wears. wears at the end um one of my favorites so we start off with like the couple, Barbara and Adam, just like 
they live in their house. The lady's trying to a lady's trying to convince them to sell it. They don't want to sell it because the lady wants them to sell because they don't have kids. And it's like, buzz off, lady. Um, they go to like to stop at the store on their way back. They well, they they they're, they're perish. You're moving quick. I know, but like they're a happy couple. Like they're obviously in love. They're like on a vacation. We have um, Adam played by Alec Baldwin, which I, which you look at this young Alec Baldwin doesn't look a single thing like old Alec. Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin today is like a, an absolute mess of a human being, and like I feel like Alec Baldwin in 1988 when Beetlejuice is made was like kind of teenage not teenage heartthrob but like young adult heartthrob like he could have been was has alec baldwin ever been a leading man and like would you say alec (laughs) would you say alec baldwin is a leading man yeah he well in his uh, when we get to our my meryl streep series he does play a leading man in that movie okay cool well Uh, but it is about like like, middle-aged people which i think that's important. He Alec Baldwin young versus Alec Baldwin middle aged. I think he's a better leading man in middle aged in the movie with Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. I think he plays a good like character in that. But I think like when we were watching this, my my I I, I was trying to transport myself back to 1988, and I was trying to say if I were to see this movie in the theaters in 1988, what would be my thought process, and. My thought process was, if I had seen this movie for the first time in the theaters, I would have thought flat out, Alec Baldwin has the characteristics of a leading man. Like, he needs to be in more stuff. He was good in it. Yeah. And I would think this, I I would not think that this would be as much of a cultural phenomenon of a movie as it was. Because I don't think in 1988 I would have got what Tim Burton was going for. But, you know, no one got what the people who created Rocky Horror were, were, the, were yeah. doing. when it, It's always after the fact, right? That we're like, that's art. That's artistic. It's the cultifying of the, the, art in, the art piece. Because, like, Beetlejuice is a huge phenomenon to the point where there is a musical. It's iconic. Like, they created the, the, a musical. The striped Like a stage suit. show. Like, the striped suit that Beetlejuice wears in the movie is iconic. Everybody knows that striped suit. Everybody knows some of those lines, right? Like, everybody knows that scene with at the dinner party. It's an iconic movie. He's a dale. <laughs> go ahead. I wanna go home. He's a dale. He's a dale. He's a dale. So, everybody knows that scene. And everybody knows all of the, like, stylistic choices of Beetlejuice. <clears throat> but I'm thinking about it and I'm saying, like, if I'm in the theaters, I probably wouldn't think too much of it. But I don't think I would have got what Tim Burton was going for. Because upon reading what Tim Burton was going for, he looked at the script and he said, this is too dark. We need to change it. And he definitely made it, like, more lighthearted. And he made it more cartoony and colorful. And he said, I want it, I don't want this to look good. Tim Burton said, like, I have an idea of this movie where I want it to look intentionally cheap. So, like, in the scenes where uh, Barbara and Adam are in the desert with the snake, 
like you can so tell it's like blue screen behind them and it's not even like they don't even try to blend it in I don't think I would have got what Tim Burton was going for having seen that in 1988. I always said this looks not great, but I wouldn't have understood the, uh, the artistic choice of I'm not trying to make it look great. I'm trying to make it look campy and weird and kind of cheap because this idea is campy and cartoony and weird and kind of cheap. I just think Gina Davis is a standout. And everything she does. Mm-hmm. I wish I looked like her. She's got like a um, like a dimple in her chin too. I don't even mind it. Yeah, I, I could I could rock a dimple in my chin maybe. Mm-hmm. If I look like Gina Davis. <laughs> <laughs> so um, must keep that in mind. I wrote down a couple of things here. I wrote down some stuff that I noticed. Framing and perspective is played with a lot in this movie. So, like, things looking small or, like... Yes, because the the a lot of... Well, a good portion of the movie happens in a miniature, like, mm-hmm. village that they create. You know that's not an actual sure. miniature village, but the way that the scene is framed, it makes you think that you are in this model and that you are small. Well, like, there's even the, the scene where... They go into the town and Alec Baldwin's character is talking to the barber that's outside and the barber is close by the camera to make him look like he's taking up like a lot of the frame. Whereas Alec Baldwin's character is kind of in the background and he's a little bit of a distance away. So like you're getting this idea of even though this is a quaint town and I I love when we play with framing like this because a lot of directors do this like Nicholas Winding Rifen does this in Drive a lot. And he plays with framing and perspective. And I'm not trying to compare the two directors. We can talk about Winding Rifen in our next director series. But um, they, you, when you play with framing and you play with perspective like that, and you have like one character in the forefront and one character kind of in the background um, or the foreground in the background, you're showing the distance between those yes. two characters. So you're showing that they might not be on the same mm-hmm. page in their conversation. So like... And, and you can tell that in the conversation because as the barber is talking about his day and like he's complaining, he <laughs> Alec Baldwin ignores him and goes inside. So you can tell that they're not on the same page. Unfortunately, this couple on their way back from the store um, perish, which then you get like you see the car tip over. You see like them go into the water and then like the next scene is them sopping wet walking into the door. Can, can we back up for a second? Sure. The scene opens on a spider. Oh, yeah. Anthony had to, like, close his eyes for, like, the first... I was not happy with that. Like... I was like, this is A couple minutes of the... Part this, of I was my... like, I'll let you know when the spider's gone. You, it was a while, too. You were like, no, that spider's not gone yet. And then Alec Baldwin's like, it's a big sucker. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you think. It was right in front of my face when I turned on the movie. We got a 60-some-inch TV. <laughs> and it was a big spider. So... Uh, I also wrote down the opening music, like when when it's we very much have like, these establishing shots of the town and everything. It's very much like this is a cartoon-ish movie. Like this is campy. This is over the top. You it reminded me-, me of like the intro to Halloween Town. I was just about to say that. I was just about to say Halloween Town. Do 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 do. Yeah, like that's kind of like the the vibe it gives off. 
Which I wonder if the person who created Halloween Town took, saw Beetlejuice and took like inspiration from that this, score. And this is why I'm thinking like this is a culturally significant movie for all intents and purposes, for, for better or for worse. It's a culturally significant movie that has spawned so many copycats. Do we want to say copycats or do we want to say inspiration like, ins it's like pieces like, of inspiration yeah um halloween town now that we're thinking about it could have had inspiration stylistically i was thinking Beetle about the Juice. like ding, 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 like that big like over the top music it's a danny elfman like cartoonish um uh, that cartoonish goofy campy music where you, we get the vibe right away even though these are establishing shots of the house and establishing shots of the town that music tells us this is not a movie we're meant to take seriously. Yeah. Right? This is not a dark movie. This is a fun, this is a cartoonish movie. It deals movie. with some dark themes. Like, of course, like, death is always an interesting... And I think Tim Burton deals with those themes a lot in his movies, too, where we're taking serious subject matter like death and the afterlife, and we're making it fun. I thought there was a lot of cool nods to everything within this. So when they come back, sopping wet, walking through the door... Like, they're like, do you remember getting here? And I think that is so terrifying. Like, I turned to you and I said, do you think this is what happens after you die? They don't know if you're they, dead. That you don't know if you're, you don't know you're dead until you get a handbook that says the handbook for the recently deceased. You know, we talked a lot about um, when we were planning our wedding about like what our guest book should be. I thought be. we should have done the handbook for the recently deceased. Now I kind of want to do the handbook of the recently deceased. I think it'd be, and then there's a, a lot a of ones on in. like, uh, there's a lot of stuff on. We have a book that. of shadows right now. Um, but it's more of a notebook. We thought, we thought about a couple of different options for like the book that the guests can sign in because if you haven't gotten this already, if you're listening, we're, our theme is like, our Halloween. theme is Halloween. Yeah. We're getting married in October. So, um, we thought about like what, what we want out of the sign in book. My first, uh, suggestion was the necronomicon from the evil dead it's ugly it's ugly though and i don't think my grandma would be very into sign or like signing that book <laughs> um and then we thought about uh the book of uh god what is uh the one from sabrina book of the beast the book of the beast but we couldn't find the book of the beast anywhere um and then brie brought up the handbook of the recently deceased and i dismissed it for some reason and then we got the book of shadows which is like a witch book i think it would be really fun also a beetlejuice could be one of the tables make my millennium <laughs> <laughs> um so they do this like there's this cool scene where the she's he is overwhelmed by like everything and he because she shows him look and she picks up like a little horse and like moves it across but she you can't see her you just see the the um the horse moving like it's she like can't in the see reflection her she can't see her own reflection he gets like overwhelmed tries to walk outside and is transported into this crazy like desert like no man's land kind where of. it's like very cheap looking and like noticeably blue screen and when barbara pulls adam back into the house he's been gone like hours they said two hours three hours oh was it three i something, thought it was two something something along can the i talk about very quick how much that the lady says people want to buy their house for 
this is a giant, but giant you have to think about this is land. the 80s. I know that I understand that this is the 80s. Reagan is president, Brie. I get it, but is Reagan president? I don't know. Ugh, that's your that's your thing, not mine. I'm pretty sure Reagan or Bush, one of the two. Um, but this is like they wanted to offer two hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and it's a big house, huge house, and probably a big lot of property. Land. Yeah. I said, there's no way that house is worth only $260,000. It's a steal. I would buy that house. I would move I, out then to we, that we quaint talk, little town. We talked about, why don't we move out to a little town? But too bad we're both public servants and we need um, we need money from schools. And if we move somewhere where there's like one school. I would have to start a business. We would have to. <laughs> That's the only way you're going to make money. We would have to like do something else. Um so if we start a business in a quaint town, what do you think it should be? I don't know. I I would funnel always, cakes. I always want to do like a candy store. I think that would be the move for us. I think it would be like funnel cakes, ice cream, candy, things like that. We've always had this idea. We wanted to like do a food truck. A food truck, but strictly like funnel cakes. Like funnel and fried food. Fried fried desserts, desserts was like our big thing. We would do like for every like we'd have like a special funnel cake like in the fall, like a pumpkin pie funnel cake or like an apple pie funnel cake. For winter, like a like a hot cocoa funnel cake. We used to do at the sugar, sh uh, oh shoot, uh, the <laughs> sugar uh, sucrose cabin. That uh, I used to work at this little ice cream parlor that was um, that was around, and we used to do like theme because it was like only place that made funnel cakes in like a hundred mile radius or whatever, and like until you get to like Six Flags Great America, and um. I had like they used to do different kinds of funnel cakes for different seasons. So like in the fall they would do a pumpkin funnel cake. Um they would also have a red velvet funnel cake throughout the year. That one was never great. But because <laughs> red velvet is just chocolate just, dyed red. But it never it never tasted like chocolate. It just it still tasted like it's a funnel cake like batter. Red 40. <laughs> yeah. Um so I always like not that I want to steal those ideas, but I'm just saying, like, if you take that idea and you put it in a food truck and you go mobile, I, I, brilliant. You, you want to know how I got the inspiration for a food truck? Like, I, the idea of wanting to do a food truck from where I saw the movie Chef with John Favreau. Great movie, fun, like, feel good movie, Chef. And I was like, man, having a food truck would be really fun. I don't think. And then we watch food truck wars. I don't think we're business savvy enough. You would have to go to like and learn how to run a business, because God knows I couldn't. We would just need marketing, really. You got to market the food truck. You got to start the the brand of the food truck. Hey, food truck's gonna be in this location at this time. Come by, get your funnel cakes. We did the math behind it because we actually like seriously considered it. We were, it we for were a talking while. about like getting investors. <laughs> like we had a whole plan no there's and like a, i when when i was doing the research on the food truck i um looked at like the legality of the like what can we do legally with the food truck and it's like you can't be in certain places especially if you're going into the city you can't be in certain places you have to you have certain things on your truck you have you, to have like a kitchen you have like to rent out a physical kitchen. like yeah. place to make the food and the batters mm -hmm. or like prep the food um we're, we went off yes, we on a tangent. So, Where did we leave off? Um, they, at, like, they get back 
It's like literally their bodies have just been buried. That lady sold their house. The one that was bugging them. Mm-hmm. To Delia. The Dietz. And Charles Dietz. Um, Delia is the stepmother of Lydia. Um, Charles is a ginger. Um, Delia is a fake ginger. Is he a ginger or is he a daywalker? Shut up. Just keep going. Uh, and Delia literally walks in this house and she's like, I have to... I have to tear the whole place down and redo it. She's like it. an artist. Art, yeah, <laughs> she's like my sculptures. Like she makes really bad art. Yeah. So, um, I wrote this. Catherine O'Hara plays um, Delia, and she has such good comedic timing in this movie. I feel like so she's great. Like, like she's, she's she's awesome. She's amazing. In everything that she's in. Um, Much like Gina Davis. Catherine Catherine O'Hara has such good comedic timing just in the looks that she gives people. Like there's the scene where she's looking at her like her her and her husband are standing together and I forget what the joke is, but he says something and it's the perfect comedic timing of her just like turning her head and looking at him like he's an idiot. And I was like it's very simple things and like facial acting and just knowing when to do something that gives you such makes you such a good comedic actor and actress um and i think katherine o'hara has that and we see that even more later on in her career when she does schitt's creek i just think she's amazing in this and the thing is delia and charles and lydia unfortunately are moving into this couple's home and they don't want these people in their home because I think because one, they'll have to live with them. Also, if they die in the house, then they're stuck with them. I thought about this when we watched the movie too. And I thought about like, how do we come up with this idea? Don't you think there'd be a ton of people living in a ton of houses? Yeah. Well, I have to imagine. I don't think, do you think anyone's died in our house? I hope not. Not that we know. Not that we know. And I think in the state we live in, you have to tell somebody. I just think, like, that Adam and Barbara's, like, first course of action was, like, haunt the house. But they go straight to, like, ripping their face off and, like, no one can see them. Mm -hmm. And they look into the handbook and it's like, most people won't see you. they, They say that stuff. Um, and I think Lydia brings it up later where she says, normally people don't notice the strange strange and unusual. unusual. And she says, I myself am strange and unusual. And that, and that's where every nine early nineties teenage girl got their personality. (laughs) Literally me. Um, (laughs) but I feel like it's interesting because they get to this point and we were like kind of introduced to Beetlejuice. As well, he uh, so, he has like ads in like papers and like he puts an ad on their TV. He targets these two. So here's he sees that they have recently died, and he's like they look dumb, young and dumb, and he takes advantage of it because Beetlejuice has been like locked away, and the only way he can get out and wreak havoc is saying his name thrice. Beetlejuice is an interesting character in this movie. 
because even though he's the namesake of the movie, he's not the main character. Beetlejuice is a supporting character, but is also the main antagonist of the movie. Like, I feel like he's very interesting as a character. The, And that's what I was thinking, too, where I... I was reflecting on this on my drive home today as I was preparing to record the podcast. And I was saying, I was thinking to myself, what I think a lot of movies, and I can't name anything off the top of my head, but this is like a trope in movies where the antagonist becomes a supporting protagonist. You know what I mean? Like in Thor, like let's say Loki as a character. Loki starts off as an antagonist, but then becomes in Thor 2. Uh, like a supporting protagonist the well, unlikely the unlikely ally and i think about sorry to interrupt you no the, the beetlejuice cartoon that comes after is he a good guy in the he's cartoon? a good he's a good guy he's it's like stupid he's like lydia's friend i i um but i think he also i haven't really watched the cartoon because that was a little bit before me mm-hmm. you know what i mean like early I, 90s yeah i grew up on like a different like creepy cartoon courage I, no um it's like growing up creepy and it's about a girl raised by bugs anyway you wouldn't like it fantastic you wouldn't like the movie, that <laughs> show at all i really like that show it reminded me of beetlejuice but i thought it like I, I thought about this and i said what's interesting about beetlejuice is that he's not portrayed as a good guy he's not portrayed as a protagonist be like beetlejuice is the antagonist of the movie they call beetlejuice to help out adam and uh barbara but his real goal is to free himself yes so he helps them briefly and then it's like now he's loose and now you have another problem to deal with well because he does everything for personal game i'll help you save adam and barbara but we are gonna get married yes i think that's what i i appreciate a lot about this movie is they didn't fall uh, tim i don't know the writers tim burton whoever wrote the final draft of this movie they didn't fall into that trap of well, Beetlejuice is going to be such a likable, like lovable character that people are going to gravitate towards. So normally when they do that, it's we talked about dogifying. And Beetlejuice is a bad guy. Beetlejuice is a bad dude. But we like him because he's the he's like a bad Because he's a character. Yeah, he's a character. Like You love you love to not like Beetlejuice. Like you love like what the character is. Like a zany mm-hmm. bad guy. Like he he is a predator <laughs> like yeah. um he is foul mouthed like he spits on himself and like he's gross yeah um but he's also been dead for a long time yeah so i that's what i really appreciated about them the handling of beetle because it's so easy to at the end of the movie make beetlejuice a good guy and they didn't go that route and no, they he, kept him as a bad no, guy. No, he got his head shrunken. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what, what's really cool about the handling of this movie is you could have went the easy route, but instead we uh, we took the risk and we, we maintained Beetlejuice as a bad guy. So they're like at the end of the rope, like the, the Dietzes have moved in. Um, Lydia's trying to get into the attic. They're trying to like get into their space. And what Barbara and Adam do is they try to go to like the afterlife, like answer. It's area. a bureaucracy. Yeah. Brie. This is bureaucracy. And so they draw this like door and chalk. They get into the door with where we see the big green 
coloring of the room and they well, like well, sit we, in a what waiting room. What we have room. to establish first is Adam and Barbara are going through all of these processes of trying to get rid of the Dietzes, but they have not read through the, the handbook, the for, handbook the for the recently deceased. So they're having all of these problems and they keep getting referred back to the handbook and they keep like everyone keeps saying, well, you didn't read, you read the handbook, right? Like it's, it's in the handbook, but these guys have not read the handbook. Yeah. They said it was hard to follow. I wish we would have seen the handbook because. I think it's important that we didn't see it. Why? Because I feel like it adds to the mystique of like, is this actually what happens when you die? Is there, because there's a couple things they say that like really like cut, caught me. So like. When they go to this waiting room, right, everyone there has, like, has died from different things. There's, like, different colors, different... Everybody, I mean, this is the big... Everyone looks like how they died, except for Barbara and Adam. The, this, they look like, more pink and... afterlife bureaucracy that we're in right now is, or, like, bureaucratic office is one of the biggest like production design set pieces that we see in the movie and it's because the set looks crazy and like weird the characters all look weird and are different colors and like have different like designs of makeup and prosthetics on them and everything so i brought this up to brie when we watched the movie and i said everybody's like a different color like you have green people here you have red people here i said is this a afterlife for just humans or is this like a general afterlife and we're getting this bigger concept of anything cross universe or cross dimensional like has the same afterlife? Well, we get like a lot of interesting characters. So the woman behind the desk, her sass says Miss Argentina and she has two like wrist slits. Like that's how she died. Mm -hmm. she, cut, she slit her wrists. Then you have the one guy who's like, flat and it looks like he'd been run over by a car yeah. and then you have their caseworker juno who has a slit throat mm -hmm. and there was also a guy hanging in like the scene and i thought i was like there's a mention later it says anyone who dies by suicide becomes a civil servant in the afterlife yeah that was a cool callback i was like oh so like and then i, I we stopped the movie i was like wait let's think about this the Miss Argentina slit her wrist. The one guy probably jumped in front of a bus. Um, the other man like hung himself, and Juno slit her throat. Like these are all people who, like, killed themselves, mm -hmm. and they're civil servants in the afterlife. And, um, I just I just thought it was really interesting. And when they come back after speaking with Juno, it's been months. And it feels like maybe it's been like a half hour at most. And I think that's a really Timing cool, works different. Yeah. That's a really cool like explanation I think that the movie gives of like ghosts can be there sometimes and ghosts you might go a long time without seeing paranormal activity, you know? And that kind of explains what the ghosts might be doing in that time frame that they're gone for so long or you might go an extended period of time without experiencing paranormal activity in your house. This movie has such... It explains, it, like, the afterlife perfectly. Because even when you die, the time works differently. What seems like hours, months, and days. It's it's the concept of the afterlife here in this movie that's really intriguing and kind of a unique perspective of it. Where 
I, I had questioned this when we watched the movie as what was the general, how do you come up with this idea? And was the idea just to have a, like a ghost story? Oh, what if the, a happy couple dies and becomes ghosts and now we follow them as their ghosts? Is that the general idea for the story? Or was the general idea, what if the afterlife was bureaucracy? And like, what if we had to navigate that? What if the afterlife, even though we think it's magical and a grand spectacle and so exciting and crazy, what if it's just as boring and monotonous as real life? And I think that might be where they were going with it. Mm -hmm. But the idea of using like a very simple ghost story on the forefront of our script and then encasing this all with the kooky and zaniness of afterlife bureaucracy and the the fix it up guy in Beetlejuice. And so he is like the um He's a bio exorcist. A bio exorcist and they come back and they want his help, right? They say his name three times, they go into the miniature, they meet him, automatic they don't like him. They well, don't like Ju- him. Juno warns them at first, like, so she's don't like, f with this guy. Like, you don't want any part of what he's doing. He used to be my assistant, and then he went rogue, and he's not a good person, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so they like he's be- he Beetlejuice's chaos. Well, and- Ju- Juno also tells them, if you want these people out of your house, do it your own way. Yeah, like, and use your talents. So they they decide not to go with Beetlejuice. He's too much. He's too much. You know what I mean? And so they decide to do it on their own. They put sheets over their head and they ooh and ah. And like it doesn't scare anyone. And Lydia comes out and takes pictures thinking it's her parents. And it's like if you're going to be weird and like do sex stuff, do it in your own room. But then she looks at the pictures and she's like no feet. And she knows it's she's like you guys are the people who are who I saw in the attic. And they're like you can see us. And then that's where we get the strange and unusual. Because she said, I read your book. That line is like, do you remember in Riverdale when Jughead's says that yeah. line? I'm weird. I'm I a was, weirdo. I'm a we. I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I just, she read their book. She And they're like, you were able to understand it? Yeah. Like, she, she really tries, like, to help these guys right she wants them to be successful in getting her like her parents out of there because she's obviously not happy in this living situation i don't think she likes her parents Mm -hmm. she doesn't like her stepmother well in the musical which take it with a like lydia's mom had passed and it's like about her like dealing with that at one point i think we're supposed to assume that though in this movie well we also have to to know that Lydia says something about su- like committing suicide, which is he- a heavy topic. Like by the time you read this letter, I will be I would have jumped off this bridge and be dead. She writes at one point, and it's like, ugh. It's crazy. Like the eighties, so we're so like tr- a trigger warning. The talk of suicide, we're we're very sensitive to that topic today because we know how heavy of a subject that is and how many people go through those kinds of feelings and thoughts and it it's weird to me that look being in the mindset of 2022 looking back at 1988 and for 
some reason, for some reason, it's Winona Ryder in all these movies that deal about suicide. She's in this where she like it's the throwaway lines about like, I'm going to commit suicide. And then Heathers does the same thing. Heathers is around this time too. Heathers is in the late eighties and Heathers is like heavy commentary on teen suicide and like thoughts of suicide. Um, it's just, it's, it's weird to me that I, I, I feel like the eighties, like teenage eighties movies were on that kick of like, we know let's teens. talk let's talk about it but let's talk about it in a way that's not seriously talking about it but we have to like introduce the topic and have this commentary in a more of a subversive way i guess instead of just saying like hey if you're having these thoughts like you should go talk to somebody like that's the serious way of talking about it and instead we get this and heathers where it's satirical Almost. It's like we the only way we can talk about this serious subject matter is through satire. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to me. And then the rest of the movie kind of goes pretty f- quick. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of notes um, because at this point. Like, they decide they're going to follow what the handbook says. And they're going to... So they go down during the dinner party the Deetses are throwing. That's where we get the... Oh. and But it did not go the way Adam and Barbara thought it was going to go. She th- They thought that they were going to run out of the room screaming. But they ended up loving it. And they want to turn this into like a, a whole business thing where they use them as like some sort of like, um, like sideshow. The yeah, and that, I wrote that down too because I we've had this conversation before of why do the rich think that they can do whatever they want? Like we talked about this in Jurassic Park or like Jurassic World. Why do the rich always think that they can play games with all of this stuff? And this is a sim- like another cog in the wheel of that kind of theme of the ri- like this is a serious thing that just happened and now the rich want to profit off of it well, and they want to make a game out of it. Barbara and Adam were like, no, we're not interested. And that fat like redecorator guy steals mm-hmm. the book for the recently deceased and then ends up like almost like exercising oh, Barbara and Adam. You're getting really quick into it. Um, we skipped a little bit where they do meet Beetlejuice in the miniature. And uh, so like we talked about the character of Beetlejuice. What do you think of Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton is very different than the Michael Keaton of like Batman and the Michael Keaton that we see now in movies. I think my, so we were thinking of like our actor series. And this would be an we, interesting. We, we each picked somebody at I, Michael Keaton. That's what I was thinking. Like, if we ever do an actor series again, I might choose Michael Keaton. It'd be interesting because this is like an earlier Michael Keaton like role. You got to think of where he was at this is pre Batman, I think post Mr. Mom. So Michael Keaton had established himself as kind of a somewhat comedic actor. So Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, this manic, crazy, kooky, very off-the-wall, bouncing-off-the-wall character, wasn't out of left field for Michael Keaton at this time. But now it's out of left field for Michael Keaton. Now it's out of left field for Michael Keaton because Michael Keaton's like an Academy Award-winning dramatic actor now. He won for Birdman. And you got to think of like Michael Keaton's career trajectory is so fascinating because he goes from comedic actor to batman which then put like every when michael keaton was cast as batman everybody lost their mind because they're like beetlejuice 
as Batman, like Mr. Mom as Batman. You got to be kidding me. This is not the Batman that we want. We don't want the funny Batman anymore coming off of Adam West. And he proved him wrong. He gave a very like grounded performance but I think as Bruce Tim Wayne. Burton knows what he's doing. And, and that's why Tim Burton's great because he can take Michael Keaton and put him in Beetlejuice and get this crazy kooky zany performance out of him. And then he could do something a little bit more grounded and serious. And even though looking back at 1989's Batman, it's a little bit more cartoony and na 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 like uh, uh, Danny Elfman cartoonish music. But we still get that very dark kind of grounded performance. Not nearly as dark as it would be today, but still in 1989, Mm -hmm. that's a dark movie for Tim Burton and Michael Keaton. So Keaton, after Batman, further solidifies himself as a dramatic actor. And he has a somewhat of a career renaissance in 2010, no, 2014, when he does Birdman, um, which is a fantastic movie. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Oh, great movie. Maybe we watch it one of these days. Uh, and he then wins the Oscar for Best Actor for Birdman. So now Michael Keaton's in this like phase of his career where he just does what he wants. He like he was Vulture. He's he's doing a lot more like big budget things now. So like he was Vulture in Spider Man. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be back as Batman in the Flash movie. So I think Michael Keaton's just having fun at this point in his career, and he's like, let's go revisit these like this Batman role that I never really got the chance to wrap up. Um, and, and like, and I think Beetlejuice is for Michael Keaton, the start of that journey that he goes on where it's like this journey to superstardom and this journey towards being an actor, being recognized as an actor that has a wide depth of range. You can do it all right. Like you can be comedic, you can be dramatic, you can do everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think. I really enjoyed him in this movie, and I think... Michael Keaton's a superstar in this movie. Also, he's a very unconventionally looking Michael Keaton. Go on. Even when he was younger, I wouldn't classify him as, like, good looking. Like Bruce Wayne? Yeah, like, he wasn't, like, good looking. Who's your prototypical Bruce Wayne? Like, when I think of Bruce Wayne? Yeah. I think of, like... Out of all the actors that played Bruce Wayne, like, who is Bruce Wayne? Not Batman. Bruce Wayne. Like, the Bruce Wayne. The prototypical Bruce Wayne. Who do you think about? I think... I don't think Michael Keaton. No. Christian Bale, I would say, is the... Because he's your Batman. That's the Batman you grew up with, right? Like, he fits the Bruce Wayne thing. Because Robert Pattinson's a very good Batman... And I liked, we haven't gotten a chance to see him we shine as Bruce Wayne. Like we haven't seen, he's very good. He very much could be the best Bruce Wayne we've had. But from my mind, when I think of like playboy billionaire douche who just has money and that's why he's a superhero, I think of Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. Yeah, he just has that like douche face. <laughs> Christian Bale is <laughs> at your party. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like who I would pick because I think. As a Bruce Wayne, not as a Batman, honestly, I think Affleck is, like, really good in that Bruce Wayne role, especially in Batman Superman, not so much in 
Joss Whedon's Justice League. Snyder's Justice League, though. Very good. Um, that's a conversation for, for a, a later podcast. Yeah. Um, so they, I did kind of talk about how they, when they met Beetlejuice, um, they had said his name and he came out after the dinner party scene and he kind of, he turned into a snake that, that signature black and white Beetlejuice snake scared everyone, dropped Charles from the second story kind of pushed um, Delia down the stairs and really scared Lydia to the point where she was really mad at Barbara and Adam. And she said, Beetlejuice, 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 and got him trapped back in the miniature. So the next time we see Beetlejuice is when the they, Barbara and Adam are almost getting exercised because they're trying to force, well, um, Delia and Charles are trying to force Barbara and Adam to be that kind of like show pony for them. And the and since Barbara and Adam had said no, the only way they thought to do it was I'm going to take the handbook of the recently deceased. I'm going to do this ritual with their clothing. And it animates the clothing and makes them hu- like fill out the clothing and be able to be seen by everybody. But it also like decays them to that point where we see the like door with all the lost souls that had been exercised in, it's in the death office for, yeah. yeah it's death for the dead when is what they were told yeah you're you're going very fast um we need to back up a little bit and talk about the first time they're in that office the beer like the bureaucracy um, well, yeah, they're getting yelled at because they let Beetlejuice out. Well, they're getting yelled at and they walk past the window where they see all these like souls flying around and they all look like decayed and gross. And they ask what that is. And the guy says, that's death for the for the dead. That's exercise souls. And I wrote, that's Chekhov's handgun. That was a Chekhov's handgun if I ever seen one because you don't put emphasis on that unless you're coming back to it unless you're supposed to connect it to when they're getting like what's happening is they're getting exercise everything should be there for a reason so it's like we don't talk about death for the dead unless that's something that's going to come up later on in the movie and it does but um i we we moved past the second time they visit juno well, and, Juno makes them come to her. Yeah. Well, like, they get called to Juno. Because she's like, you're you're exposing yourselves. And you're, you, need to get your, you need to get the book back because someone took it. It's not meant for the eyes of the living because the, like, little interior decorator guy stole the book. And so they need to get it back. And you need to get rid of the, de- the Dietzes. So that's when, like, Alec Baldwin pops out his eyes and, like, extends his face out to be, like... A chicken. And she opens her mouth and her eyeballs and tongue are there. Mm-hmm. And, like, they look scary. It's a cool, like, uh, practical, practical effect. effect, too. I could imagine, like, just being on set that day. And I don't even know if it was Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin wearing those costumes. But that would be fun. <laughs> and just, like, walking around set and seeing those people just, like, booling around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. So, uh... The exorcism scene kind of occurs and it's kind of intense and we don't really know what's going to happen, but Lydia is... She gets desperate and she knows that who can help? Well, it's that dang old Beetlejuice. And she, well, she sees um, before this too and before the exorcism starts, she sees um, Adam and Barbara 
come out of the door and they look like horrifying and they're like no 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 like don't get scared like it's we like us. we want the deets here we like them we want them to stay now and they have this like change of heart about the family i think it's just like we just want to live in peace we just want to live in peace mm-hmm. like we don't even, this is too much for us like and... we just want to live in peace like we don't want any problems but with I, anyone i don't think they care too much for the deets i think they care for lydia yeah they love her they love I don't I think we're supposed to call back to like the beginning where they didn't have a child yet. Mm-hmm. And now like they didn't. Do they discuss that in the beginning of the movie? Yes. Oh, they do. That, that's why the lady says they should sell their house because it, it's a big house for people who don't have kids. Yeah. And it's like, here's the, the chance now that they have like that child like relationship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it builds organically. Like she she's interested in the ghosts and the ghosts feel like parental parental they do yes because i mean we'll get to the end scene of the movie but it seems like it's a happy family like it's it's not it's definitely not a nuclear family no um so anyway they're getting exercised yada 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 uh lydia runs up to the attic and sees beetlejuice and sees beetlejuice and she's like you need to help me and he's like okay i'll do it but I need to marry someone so I can be free. And she kind of agrees because she just wants Barbara and Adam not to die. Um, so he ha- he can't tell her his name. So he, well, he does, can like charades he, it. He her. charades it. So he does beetle and then the juice. It's like beetle orange, beetle breakfast, beetle. <laughs> like <laughs> Where it's so obviously yeah. juice. Um, so he says Beetlejuice and he's like, come on, Beetlejuice, come on, Beetlejuice. And he like, is like, it's showtime. It's showtime. And he rescues Barbara and Adam like he said he would. But then he. Then he goes buck wild. Then he goes buck wild. He's like, hello, mom and dad to Delia and Charles. Like, so now it becomes, well, the conflict isn't saving Barbara and, a- and Adam anymore and getting them to not die or be exercised. It's saving Lydia from it's, marrying Beatrice. Now we got to get rid of this guy. And that's a bigger problem and because he's mystical. Whole, <laughs> and you have like the whole house like changes shape and like stretches very Tim Burton-esque where like the fireplace grows and it like goes on a weird angle and like a weird looking and guy that, comes that's out. That's another thing about Tim Burton style. Everything is very angular. angular. Like, di- like nothing is straight. Everything is crooked. You know what I mean? That's a very Tim Burton stylistic choice. And then you have, they're try- someone is trying to say Beetlejuice three times to- so that he disappears again, and he like zips, um, someone's mouth, zips Barbara's mouth shut, banishes Adam to that sand place with the sand. No, he turns him into a miniature, right? Oh he- yeah, he does. Who does he send to the family? Uh, Gina Davis. Oh. Then he bolts over her mouth. We do get, eventually, the Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And he's he's transferred back into, like... But he's being, like, a creep because he's going to marry Lydia. Like a teenager. Gross. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I That's pretty much the end of the movie. That's, like, the end of the movie. But then we get, like, this kind of uh, peek at... It's, it's time has passed 
Lydia's like at a school. Like a normal kid. And she looks normal. Like her bangs aren't weird anymore. She's not wearing, she's wearing a school uniform. She's riding on her bike home. And then you, she walks in the door and it's Barbara and Adam. And like, how did you do on your test? We studied all week for that and test. And she's like, I got an A. And then they like, so can we do it? And it's like, what? Do what? And it's like, she just wanted to do like float and dance. Jump in the line. Rock but your then, body on time. Okay. I believe you. Jump in the line. Rock your body on time. Sing it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> well, so, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so that uh, you were asking... Well, I had a question. I found the the set design to be interesting because they said, why did they redecorate again? But then I noticed the house is like split in half. One Mm -hmm. side of the house is decorated like how Delia and Charles like it. And the other half is back to how it was. Like they came to an agreement with the Like they're splitting the house. But I think they're splitting Lydia too because... I think they're co-parenting this child. That's what I said. I was like, are they co-parenting? Like the Dietzes are okay with ghosts co-parenting They're not only okay, they seem like they're really healthy co-parents. Yes, like this is a very healthy thing we have going on. Like they're completely okay with like sharing their daughter with these ghosts and also living with these ghosts cohabitating with these ghosts and like sharing their house this is there's a moment where it goes up and it's like the you hear the song and then delia's with charles and she's like sounds like lydia got an a on her test or something like that i feel like you should be down there celebrating her you're the parents like you're actual parents and then there's this thing where it's like Lydia becomes a healthier teenager with the help of with the help of ghost parents and I I, I have to think of maybe I'm thinking about it too much for Beetlejuice but I'm thinking like what kind of dynamic did she have before with her parents I think it's kind of the feeling that maybe and she didn't, didn't have feel- enough parental support but and that's what i was thinking too because i was like wouldn't you think that the parents especially her dad or biological dad would be kind of offended that it's like i tried to be there for you and i did the best i could but now you bring in these ghost strangers to be your parents too and like now you're fine but i feel like her relationship with her parents her stepmother and her dad got better because she also had Barbara and Adam. Like, it improved everyone. If I was just a biological dad, I would be very offended by that because I'd be like, what am I not doing? Like, you have to be self-reflective. What am I not doing to be there for my daughter that these ghost parents are there? But I think it improved his relationship with his daughter. I think they just have a different understanding of their relationship now because it's like... Now she has do, more do, support. I'm parental gonna, support. I'm going to bring back... I'm going to bring it to I mean, a four parents are better than two. I'm going to bring it back to a different realm. Steven Universe. The, the crystal gems are Steven's parents, right? Like Pearl and Garnet are basically Steven's parents. But Steven like also has a dad... But, but dad isn't but I think, his primary character. But you know, Steven's relationship with his dad gets better. Steven's relationship with his dad gets better, but it also borders on unhealthy. Because in Steven Universe Future, when he goes on that trip with his dad to see his dad's parents, and his dad complains about like how restricting his parents were, and Steven's like... I wish I had. I wish I had that. I wish I had structure. It's... A, like... 
you, just you like can tell further... like even though Steven's dad is in the picture, he's not the primary caretaker. I of think Steven. it just makes being a parent like more scary. Like you're like what you understand your role. Like even in Steven Universe Future, when he leaves at the at the end of the show, when Steven drives off and leaves Beach City, Steven's dad isn't there primarily like crying and you know blubbering over steven leaving it's steven like, goes to the gems and is like why don't you care so that i think that is the indication to us there that in steven universe dad's there but dad isn't like dad understands his role as i can't fully be there to support my kid i think but i can be there to love my kid I think being a parent must be very... I mean, we're not parents, so we don't know this yet. But it takes a village to raise a child, I believe. Like, I think you should be willing to accept help from people who are willing to give it. Especially when your child has, like, mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Where you're trying to just do what's best for your kid. And I think the best thing to do for Lydia was to get help. And, yeah. And Adam and... Barbara, were that help? As long as like everybody's on the same page and the deets and they uh, seemed Matt, very Matlin's happy at the end. Had uh, a, a a mutual agreement on how to well, they take split care the house and they yeah. they didn't have to do that. What do you think that conversation was like? Do you think they like sat at a table and was like, okay, we're gonna well, do they, this? Well, they just went through this that. whole Beetlejuice thing together. So I think there was probably a moment where it's like, okay, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Right, right. Well, Brie, what did you think overall? We forgot movie? one scene. We did what? At the end, Beetlejuice is waiting in the oh, yeah. like the waiting room, and his number is like a billion something, and the guy next to him is number four, and he's like talking to him, makes him look away, switches their numbers, think he's not going to notice, and the guy like sprinkles dust on his head and turns him to a shrunken head, and that's the only actual special effects. Other than the snake Beetlejuice yeah. in you the can, whole And you movie. can tell it was green screen, yeah. too. Because it's very again, obviously yeah. around his hair. You can actually like see the green screen. And again, Tim Burton made it very clear. I don't want this to look professional. I want it to look cheap. Like it's a B-movie. Like this is something you're not supposed to be watching. I absolutely love the way this movie was shot because that makes it what it is today. Do you think the shitty like quality, the intentionally shitty quality makes it so cultural yes, it's the same like thing. culturally relevant yeah, i think it is along the lines of rocky horror like it's meant to look like that on mm -hmm. purpose because that what that's what cultifies a movie yeah i think we can look back at beetlejuice in 2022 and say now i get what tim burton was trying to do he was like trying i understand to make it, it last like if he had done it the way that it was written it would have been a passing it, it, phase it would have been a, a run-of-the-mill horror movie and what he did was truly make something that's going to last the test of time. And this is why a director's vision is like so important when it comes to interpreting a script. Tim Burton looked at that script and he said, said no. I can't do this. Like, I have to do it my way. And when we look, so there was a show. I can't remember what the show was. It was like a directorial competition show, but they gave two directors the same script and said go make this movie and you get two you, you would get two completely different movies because you you 
shine a light on why the vision of the director is so wildly important to a script and to a movie because two people can interpret a script in completely different ways. I just think about the book that I just finished reading where like the like they had written the script and it was meant to take place in the city and the director was like, no, I'm actually now thinking that this would be better shot if it was done in a small town and how that choice changes everything about the script. Now, like everything that was city-esque about this is going to be turned into like small town-esque and it changes the whole meaning of the story. Little changes like that can be really have have really dramatic effects on the story. I was reading something um, earlier today about so like the the new Thor movie is coming out the the trailer for the new Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy are in that movie like have a, a what I assume is a pretty big role because that's where we last leave Thor in Endgame is he's with the Guardians the production and like the release schedule originally had Guardians three being released before Thor. And then they changed it around and somebody on Reddit had a comment that was like, you have to imagine that just the re the change in release schedule, like what kind of effects that has to have on the continuity of like to keep the continuity of Marvel like together, there had to be drastic changes to the Thor script and or, or the Guardians 3 script. Probably the more so the Guardian script because whatever happens in Thor mm -hmm. is the reason why the, the story order was changed. Yes. So, and somebody said the same thing about Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Originally, Doctor Strange was supposed to come out before Spider-Man. And you have to imagine that that change in, in release schedule. Once they figured out what they were going to do for yes, Spider-Man. That had I to have like dramatic changes the on time, the script. There's like the big people behind the scenes who are mapping out everything that like Marvel. Someone is in charge Feige. of like yeah. looking at everything and like figuring out where things go. But then as people write scripts and as directors, you make have to movies, weave the web together. You're like, okay, we had this here, but we, it would better now be after this movie because in this movie, we're going to mention this mm -hmm. and this movie really builds upon that. And if it goes before, then we can't do some of the cool things in this. It's movie. a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And you just got to figure out where things fit. Yeah. So I bet what Taika Waititi did in his movie affected guardians and it's like who can we ask to change I, I guess the conversation becomes who can we ask to easily change their vision of the, the one story? that's not done the one that's in the process of still being written and that would be james gunn even though james gunn is like very has been quoted as saying like he's very particular about his stories and like he's He'll be he'll, he's, like you bend, he has a vision you, you know bend to the will of the the company that you're working for you bend to the will of Marvel. You can still make a good story, but... We that, talked about this before. That, that's what happens when you have this large continuity like that in the MCU, where Guardians 2 is so far out of continuity for the MCU that that movie can be standalone. Like, James Gunn got to make that movie the way he wanted mm -hmm. to make it. Um, Guardians 1 is in continuity. You had to establish these characters. They introduced Thanos. They introduced the Power Stone and everything. Um, and the Nova Corps. But also, what a waste of John C. Riley in that movie because he never comes back. You remember John C. Riley is in Guardians <laughs> One, right? <laughs> New he plays Nova Prime, not Nova Prime. He plays uh, Rom Romus Day, I think. I don't, one of the Nova Corps guys. But uh, 
I, we're going off on a tangent about I know, the we're MCU. Just talking, we're talking about like, you know, talking flicks. M- like movies are so interesting, especially movies. How a, how a director's vision affects can affect like, the whole thing. And I feel like we've talked about this. Just I talked about a, mu- a music video one day. I was talking to Anthony. I was like, I was listening to this to this song, this Taylor Swift song, and recently a, a music video had been released for it, and that's not how I would have interpreted this song. Mm-hmm. And I would have done a completely different music video. And I was like, and it would have been just as good. I was like, I get what they were trying to do with the music video. I was like, but this is just not how I would have done it. Right. Right. It's interesting. Bringing it back to Tim Burton, though, we can tell definitely that, like, there are certain things that Tim Burton's fingerprints are totally on. And Beetlejuice is one of those things where you can look at it without no. even knowing anything about if no, he Tim Burton it. did it. And you can be like, okay, that's Tim Burton. And I feel like um, Frankenweenie is like similar to that. Where like you just look at it and you're like, that's a Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brie. Um, it does. Got, got anything else? <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else that you want to bring up? Um, not, on this? not that I have. I just, I, I like it. Um, yeah, I liked it too. It does go on my my top 100. I'm going to be picky and I'm going to say no. I feel like it's important that it goes on the top 100. Uh, you're, you uh, need we, to watch this. We you made need, a rule. You need to watch this movie. We we made a rule. What was um, the rule? Before you solidify this choice, we made a rule. Remember, we said we can only pick one uh, movie from our director's series each to put on the list if we choose to do so. But we can only you can only choose one Burton movie. Is I think this the Burton movie you want to choose? I think this choose? is the Burton movie I want to choose locked in. You're locking it in. Yeah, I know which other ones come after, and I choose this one. More so than... Uh, are we not revealing no, what we're doing? No, we're not revealing okay. it. Um, I would say this because of the connection, personal connection I have to this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I was Lydia. I was the cartoon Lydia for Halloween. What's the year. difference between the cartoon Her Lydia? outfit. Like oh. she wears like a poncho. A red poncho with like a spider web design on it. And she's like young, like younger than how young she is in here. And her and Beetlejuice kind of get into wacky zany like shenanigans. uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis in the show? I don't, I didn't really watch it. It was before my time. Maybe it's streaming somewhere. Maybe. We can catch it. Um, Definitely want to see the the musical um, because that's where you get the Beetlejuice. Yes, Beetlejuice. Yes, because and she goes out. So this song, it's called "Say My Name" or "Say Yeah," and it's like my name, say my name. And the whole song is she gets really close to saying. He says you have to say the name three times in a row. You can't interrupt it with other words. It has to be three consecutive times. And so during this song, she keeps that last Beetlejuice. It turns into B words and it just like she keeps like singing. It's really funny. I see a lot of it on TikTok. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't think it goes on my list. It, I like it, but he's, I, he's holding I'm, out for a later Burton movie. I'm getting picky, I think, with my list. And if I'm compiling a list of the top 100 movies... I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see all of your directors' series before you movie, make a decision. Before I make a mis- decision on if I choose any. Boogie Nights, uh, 
what did you say? You said no for Boogie Nights. Well, I, well, I didn't. I didn't. Off. I'm holding I said off. no for I'm, Boogie Nights is not my choice. I'm holding of the PTA off movies. to make like final decisions on that till the last one we do of his. Do I have to pick a Burton movie? I would. You don't have to. Well, just I, like I don't have to choose one of your okay movies either. Because I don't know if I would pick a a Burton movie off out of the ones that you chose. Well, that is like culturally significant and like I feel like Beetlejuice is really culturally significant. If I were to put this in a time capsule and people show it to people, it. well, I know people would love it, but would they consider it one of the best movies of all time? I don't know. Um, but that I guess we can discuss at the end of our both directorial series towards the end of the summer uh i think that's gonna be it so brie what's on well you don't know what's on the agenda for no you're the one it's it's my it's my director next week um next week join us for the next part of our director series uh paul thomas anderson's uh follow-up to boogie nights magnolia I was told I'm not going to like this movie. I told Brie I don't think you're going to like this movie. Which, you know, I'm so excited to watch a movie I know I'm not going to like. <laughs> I think you're... I, it's not that I don't think you're going to like it. I don't think that you're going... I think you're going to find it very confusing. Because it's a weird He think movie. I'm dumb. He think, no, I, he no, think no. I'm... I'm dull. That's that's not <laughs> dull. Um, you think I'm an idiot. You're a banana. He, he doesn't think I'm going to get it. I think you're a banana. I think you're bananas. Dull banana. Oh, Dole. Dole Whip. <gasps> Disney. Dun, dun, dun. Buy me one. Okay. So we'll be reviewing Magnolia next week. You can come back uh, and we'll be there. Yeah. So follow us on Instagram at review underscore pod. You can email us at reviewpodcast1 at gmail.com. Um, you can follow Anthony on Twitter. GLDTV1. And you can... Twi- uh, Twitter... Uh, the We're... At the time of this recording, Twitter, at uh, prior to being owned by Elon Musk. Yeah. Um. So, if you want to get in touch with me, um, what you can do is you can write a message on a door in chalk, and we'll see if I get to you. Yeah, but you got to like make the doorknob. Too. You have to make the doorknob knock three times. Yeah, and then maybe she'll come out. And maybe I'll come out. Yeah. It might turn your house green. Uh, briefly briefly green and i might look scary and discolored but expect a a brie but dressed as beetlejuice um beetlejuice say my name three times in a row consecutively beetlejuice 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 it's showtime it's showtime um okay <laughs> So that's going to be it for us. You can come back next week and we will be reviewing Magnolia. I hope you are sitting on the edge of your seat for the next Tim Burton movie. I can tell you I've chosen all of them. So, you know, they're going to be good. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hiya. Hiya. All right. Well, that's going to end it for us. We will see you next time. I'm Anthony. I'm Bree. And this is the Review Podcast. The Review Podcast. Yeah.